guest today is Kristen Montesano, a facilitator and the co-founder of Epic Life Learning Community in Dallas, Texas. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Blake. Thanks for uh, introducing me. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what your role is at Epic. Essentially, what are you doing with your life right now? <laughs> okay. Um, well, basically, um, Epic is a liberated learner center. Um, so, you know, we're based on the model of um, North Star, self-directed learning for teens in Massachusetts. But um, we enroll ages four through 18. So um, our approach is a bit different. And I mainly work with the age group of, you know, about seven to 13 in my mentoring. Um, and then I lead a variety of classes and clubs and play games and have fun with kids all day. Uh, cool. What are some of the classes and clubs? Um, well, they change pretty often. Uh, right now I'm leading a 3d printing intro class. I'm leading a board game club, um, Harry Potter and Percy Jackson book clubs and uh, volunteering with a local guinea pig rescue. Oh my gosh. Harry Potter and guinea pig rescue. Sign me up. Yeah. I've uh, got all the cool ones. Clearly. clearly. <laughs> and your co-founder, uh, Cassidy Youngins, who is a previous guest on this podcast, uh, I guess mm -hmm. is left with all the not cool activities, huh? Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Let She's her... got um, the liver eating club, um, <laughs> staring at grass while it grows. <laughs> uh, poor Cassidy. Uh, <laughs> So we're here to talk about giftedness and its relationship to the world of self-directed education. Uh, you wrote up a really great article yet to be published. I hope you will publish it uh, that you generously shared with me. And um, one thing that you mentioned in that article is that there are regulars in the self-directed education world, which means like the, the kind of kids with the kinds of situations or challenges who typically show up at centers like yours or like liberated learner centers or agile learning centers, et cetera. And so who, in your experience, um, who are these regulars? Yeah, great question. So um, I talk about, um, I feel like one of the big, really well-discussed groups is um, kind of kids with ADHD who need more freedom to play and move around um, in order to focus and learn. Um, and then there's kind of artsier kids who really want to dive deep into that passion and have a lot of talent in the area of various um art forms. Um, there's, uh, seems to be a lot of kids who come in that are like really anxious about school or just can't go another day, kind of school refusers. Um, and then there's a lot of kids who are just lucky enough to have parents who are just open to this idea in the first place. And really, um, that's their first go. But, um, to me, the most under discussed groups, group of kids that are regulars is gifted kids. Okay. And now gifted is a loaded word. And, and to put it out there, neither you nor I have studied giftedness in any formal way. And so, uh, so maybe take some of this with a grain of salt out there, those of you who have read a lot more about this. But uh, with that on the table, what does giftedness mean to you? Or how do you how are you using the term right now, Kristen? That's a great question. Yeah. So um, I don't claim to be any kind of expert in the field of giftedness. Um, but uh, when I use the term in this article and generally when I'm kind of talking about this topic, I'm talking about um, giftedness in the academic sense, um, kids who are gift identified through gifted testing, um, which usually takes the form of a few different types of IQ tests. 
Okay, so essentially, if you're highly gifted, you have a better chance of getting into Mensa. Yes, that is the kind of giftedness that I'm talking about here. And would you say that giftedness is is kind of like being born with the ability to play the, the school game very well? Or, or is that not quite a, a good definition? Um, I would say that's a good definition, um, just with the caveat that... Um, some of these kids don't end up having to play that game because they end up in centers uh, like Epic Lives Learning Community. Huh, good, good plug. I like it. Um, so th- this is something very close to your personal experience. Can you walk us through your life growing up and, and how giftedness entered the picture? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was always kind of a, identified as a highly gifted kid. Um, there were already kind of some statutes and limitations in a way um, for gifted programs when I was going through elementary school in that um, schools couldn't put you in any gifted program until the third grade. So when you were seven or eight years old. Um, But I like through kindergarten, first grade, second grade, um, my teachers kind of um, put me in that group, at least in their head, put me in that box. Um, And, you know, in first grade, I was like winning state capital contests throughout the whole school school through competing with fifth graders, um, battle of the books, accelerated reader contest. If anybody else did a AR programs. Um, and I was put in a couple of different, um, classes and clubs, um, like a Harry Potter book club in first grade, which is somewhat young for Harry Potter. Um, at least it was in my school, um, until I was old enough to take that gifted test at seven, um, the school approached my family and suggested that I take it. And obviously my parents were like, yeah, that's great. Definitely. Um, and so I was accepted into the program and already knew that before the year that I would be able to be put into that. So at my school, um, I went to an IB school, international baccalaureate, um, through elementary and middle school. And in elementary school, it was really great because, um, I got to do a bunch of different, um, clubs and activities like extra, science fairs, but ones that were actually fun, like bridge building engineering competitions. Um, I did mathletes, which sounds like it wasn't that much fun, but it really was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Battle of the Books competitions. And then um, one thing that sticks out to me now is actually a really negative experience um, for the kids who weren't a part of it, um, probably more than any other thing I've mentioned, was that um, at my school, there were sort of three classes in every gr- grade. And they were really ranked like by grades by academic ability level. So I was always at that like top tier academic class through third, fourth and fifth grade. And this was like a really obvious thing. Nobody talked about it or the teachers didn't explicitly say it, but all the kids knew, like you knew which was the top middle and Mm -hmm. lowest class. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was definitely not, um, not great in the grander scheme of things. But I didn't realize it at the time, of course. But it mu- must have felt good to be on the top of the the pecking order, the top it of the hierarchy. It definitely did. Yeah, it definitely did, and everybody knew that everybody knew. You know, everybody in my mm-hmm. class knew that we were the top scoring class, and you know, when people would move between them at the different grade levels, it was like a big deal. Hmm. So then, in middle school, um, I was selected for the magnet um, IB middle school again. And, you know, I kept getting good grades. I also kept getting in trouble. I got in trouble, like, from fourth grade on in school um, for being distracting, really. Like, I would talk too much in class. 
um, cause I was done with my work and I didn't have anything else to do. Even when I would try to like just doodle to myself or read a book or do a comic, I would, you know, show it to a friend sitting next to me. Um, and just constantly, like I was always in trouble. I got detention a lot of times in sixth and seventh grade, but for ridiculous things like, you know, like chatting in class. And so was this directly tied to a sense of boredom? Because even though they were giving you this more advanced coursework and you're doing all these cool extracurriculars, still there would be time that was left unfilled and, and that led you to be kind of bored and distracted and just want to chat with other students or, uh, is it as simple as that? Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, I didn't do any homework at home <laughs> until maybe like 11th grade. Um, cause I would try to do it all in class or homeroom or if I had a spare minute be- between classes mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't have to do it at home. So that still left me with, yeah, a lot of time in, math class, um, you know, I would usually do my like worksheets while the teacher was giving the lesson, you know, once it, once I got it, once I heard enough and it clicked for me, I would just do all of those problems. Um, and so still I would have time left in class where I was just bored. Mm-hmm. Um, even with that heavy workload. Okay. So elementary school sounded pretty nice. Elem- uh, middle school started, being complicated because you would get bored and you would act out and you would get punished for that. But, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you were this incredible high achiever, but, but being a great student make up, didn't make up for, for the, the boredom, did it? No, it really didn't. And actually I feel like I really had um, a real sense of entitlement because of it. Um, you know, I was at school for the purpose that school is for to go there and get my good grades And since I had done that and I knew I would continue doing that, uh, it felt like punishment to not be able to do other things in addition. So, yeah, I skipped class a lot. I would um, teachers would say yes to me more than they would to other kids Um, or they wouldn't punish me sometimes for wandering around the halls during class um, much longer than it takes to go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. whereas they would punish other kids for that because. I was done with my work. I was out of their hair. It was a good deal for all of us. Hmm. Um, but I actually, in seventh grade, um, kind of started refusing to go to school because I was just really fed up with all these like extra projects, extra homework. Um, and I just begged my parents to let me transfer to my like local public middle school because this magnet school was two bus rides away. Um, and it was a gift to get in, but I, I hated that gift by seventh grade. And they let me do that. So then I went to my local public school, which was terrible. It was very poorly rated. Um, and they didn't even have a math class for me there. Like the eighth grade math was still below my level. So I got the joy of sitting by myself at a computer and doing an online math program for that period of my schedule. Um, and then this just piled on the boredom, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I was really unchallenged and really just all day, like staring at the walls, picking at my chair, had nothing to do. Uh, okay. And was that all of your high school experience? Uh, no. So this was still middle school. Um, in high school, I moved states. I moved to Texas. Um, and I went to like one of the top 20 schools in the nation, um, second biggest graduating class. Um, so I was really just a, a needle in a haystack, but um, I was part of you know, AP classes, 
all the stress of that, everybody cheated on everything all the time. I would still be bored and get in trouble at school. Um, but I ended up getting through it. I got, I graduated with a 3.9 GPA and I got into most of the big name colleges here in Texas. Um, and then that was it. I made it through the game and went to college. You did. And, and what did you study in college? I studied child learning and development in college. So I studied a little bit of giftedness and things like it. Um, and I really, by the time I got to college, it was like a, sort of like a part-time job for me. I took like 12 or 15 semester hours. So I went full time, but I was like, Oh, finally the majority of my workloads at home, I can just do things on my own time and get them done quickly so I can do other things. And I spent the majority of my college years, um, taking as many online classes and not in person as I could and doing some more interesting things like, like, uh, working at a democratic school, reading a lot of books, playing soccer, training my dog for the therapy dog test and doing some volunteer work, traveling, things like that. So in college performance wasn't as tied to seat time as it was in middle school and high school. Like you could really just work at your own pace at an accelerated pace and then spend the rest of your days doing more interesting self-selected projects. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It was great. Okay. And how did you end up, you you mentioned that you volunteered at a a democratic school and what school was that? That was Macarius community school, which is now Macarius agile learning community. Okay. And how did you even find that in the first place? Like, what was your bridge into the world of self-directed education? Actually, that school really was my bridge. I uh, originally went into school for environmental science um, as just kind of a general catch-all thing I was sort of interested in. But um, when I discovered uh, the world of self-directed learning, um, I just kind of, like, really dove deep into the Internet and, like, watched every video I could read every book I could. And I was on uh, one of the resource websites. I'm not sure if it was, um, I think it was Arrow's resource directory. So I found out that there was um, one school with this type of model in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, And I called and I just said, hey, I think your school looks really interesting. Can I come visit? And uh, it ended up that I volunteered a summer there and ended up working there for two years. Wow. Okay. And then what led you to co-found Epic Life Learning Community? Yeah. So actually, um, when Macarius Community School changed to Macarius Agile Learning Community, um, they made a big move um, in their geographic location. And so a few families from Epic, well, from Macarius um, came together um, and Cassidy and I had been working on self-directed path together. So we were already um, working together in this world of self-directed education, but in a different way. Um, So Cassidy, myself and Kelsey Brock um, and Jordan Brock, who were parents of a couple kids who went to Macarius and now go to Epic, uh, founded Epic Life Learning Community. Okay, so in your time at Macarius and now at Epic, what have you seen uh, with with gifted kids, like kids who perhaps were like you when you were younger, and and how is this? environment different for them than conventional school is? Because uh, I think a number of people might be thinking, well, a small self-directed education center, there's, because it's so small, uh, there's actually not many activities 
on offer. Maybe a large, well-resourced public school that has all of these clubs and these extracurriculars, um, all these resources to throw at, at gifted kids. Maybe that's a better place for uh, an academically gifted kid to go. So, uh, yeah, tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, one thing, the internet, everything you need is there. You don't need a public school to get access to most resources for things that kids are interested in. Um, but I think it's really relates back to what you were talking about in the difference between high school and college was seat time. So instead of being stuck in a seat for 45 minutes for said class every day, and then moving on to another class and another one, um, the gifted kids at Macarius and Epic and other self-directed learning kid centers, um, other self-directed learning centers have an abundance of time to follow their interests and they really take it and run with it. Um, I think actually uh, one thing that's talked a lot about in the self-directed education world is um, boredom and de-schooling. And sometimes people will just arrive at a new center and sit there and be bored for a few weeks until they decide to pick something up and do it. And that's actually not true for most gifted kids I've seen um, in my personal experience that they're just like, oh, great, I can read all day. I'm going to do that for three weeks. And then I'm going to um, take a coding class. And then after the first session of that class, I'm going to spend all my time coding and getting really good at this uh, so quickly that by the time of the third class, I'm, I'm way ahead of you and I, I could basically teach the class. Um, and another thing that uh, I would say is not, not true about your statement, Blake. <laughs> this is what I want. <laughs> um, <laughs> is uh, that there's not so many classes and clubs and activities. Actually, um, at Epic, one thing we strive to do is like really fill the calendar um, and kids get to choose their own classes. They could choose none. I, I don't think we have one single kid who's chosen no classes or activities to be a part of. Um, but they have just an abundance of classes and activities that they get to opt into, that they really get to say, I'm interested in this. I want to try this out um, and take a class that's low pressure. They're not performing for a grade. Um, so they don't have any weird fears or anxieties about performing very well or very poorly, um, you just show up and learn. Um, so I think a great example would be like I taught um, an advanced programming class last year and uh, it was mostly teens. I think everyone else in the class was 15 and older. Um, but I had this one eight-year-old uh, that I knew was sort of interested in this and I just thought, you know, maybe I'll invite him um, at least to sit in on one of these classes and see um, and he showed up every time he was actually like always there two minutes before our class started, uh, while the teenagers were, um, later. And I'm sure that there was some content that was above his head. Um, but he really like really enjoyed it, even though like, I'm telling you, Blake, this was a boring class. Like there was so much, <laughs> it was coding can be really boring when you're when you're new at it because there's so much like intro stuff that's basic mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. interesting and you just have to get those fundamentals down um but he he made that choice every week to show up he had a great time he would play around with uh, the projects that we'd made afterwards and make small tweaks and edits to them um and i just think that's a really great example that also age mixing gives kids a lot of opportunity kids who are gifted um to challenge themselves but to take that on for themselves. And it's not a challenge in the way of like, you have six hours of homework for this mm -hmm. class. It's a challenge in the way of like, this is content that I'm really interested in. That's maybe a little bit above my head, but 
I can get there if I want to. And I have the choice to, to make that choice. All right. Let me see if I'm getting your argument correct here. Uh, essentially, at a self-directed education center, the, the throttle is taken off. And a gifted kid can immediately dive deep into abstract. It sounds like you're describing a lot of like abstract content, um, kind of big picture thinking, uh, you know, coding is a great example of this. And uh, you can just go into that either as an individual working at your own pace using largely online resources. Um, or I imagine you can work one-on-one with someone, kind of like you work one-on-one with young people at Epic. Or you mm-hmm. can join a class or some other organized activity. And you're saying there are actually enough of these uh, to create a satisfying diversity of, of opportunities uh, for most kids out there. Um, and and the fact, you, you said something interesting um, in the article that you wrote, that gifted kids at self-directed education centers don't feel inherently superior. I don't think you said that, but that's the message I took away to other kids uh, in the way that it's so easy to feel superior, like you're on top of this academic hierarchy in a conventional school. Um, Is that true? Yes, I think that's a huge benefit um, of a huge benefit for gifted kids and families of gifted kids um, that they are supported in a self-directed learning center, right? So like uh, we talked about in my elementary experience, I, I knew that I was in the top tier class and I knew that I was in the gifted program every year, third grade and on. Um, and other kids were aware of this too. And it didn't matter if uh, my friend in the, the middle tier class was really good at the guitar and I don't know how to play the guitar at all because that was not important. And everybody knew that was not important. Your teachers told you that it was not important. Your parents told you that it was not important. Uh, not directly, you know, but um, society kind of gives us those messages, especially in public schools. It's so heavily pushed, that agenda. Um, but in self-directed learning centers, like, gifted kids get to be not good at stuff. They get to see other kids who are really working hard on learning how to play the ukulele and who are really talented singers or artists or who know every fact you could possibly know about dinosaurs in particular, Um, and rather than feeling this, um, academic, academic, um, superiority, like you were saying, um, they're just another kid who has talents and interests and passions like all the other kids there. Mm. So that eight-year-old who joined your advanced coding class with a bunch of teenagers and then performed extremely well in that class, uh, there was no, uh, I don't know. Like no one in the class said, "Oh my God, you're you're so smart. You're so much better at this." You know, did that did that lead to any disheartened uh, programmers, the ones who were already in the class and going at a normal speed instead of light speed? <laughs> that's that's a really good question. Um, no, I wouldn't say so. Um, most of those teenagers had been in the self directed learning center long enough to to not really feel that like mixed age Mm -hmm. activities are really normal. They do lots of things with five and six year olds and eight and 12 year olds in the room. Um, So having an eight year old in their class was not something that is, you know, inherently weird for them Mm -hmm. or, or a disheartening experience because they might also be volunteering with Guinea pigs together later. And that's not (laughs) an academic activity, but just another class that they'd have with eight year olds in them. So it sounds like, uh, there's this sort of flattening of, of a, 
hierarchy of importance at a self-directed education center, or at least the ones where you've been working, where just because one kid is great in academics does not automatically put them in the smart kid category, because essentially there's many varieties of smart which are on display. And you might be really great at picking up programming quickly, but uh, you might not be that good at, at learning how to play a ukulele quickly or learning how to like memorize your lines to perform in a drama group quickly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, the, the smart kid paradigm, even outside of self-directed learning centers, it, it's not linear. It doesn't actually make sense. Um, there's been studies that have shown that the, the kids who are the good student varies by age. In, in kindergarten, those are the kids who are really extroverted. Um, but by eighth grade, the kids who are considered the good kid, the smart kid, are the ones who are really introverted and conscientious and keep their nose in a book all day. Um, so it's actually a lot more stable, <laughs> um, at a self-directed learning center, even though there's that flattening, um, than it is in public schools. And I imagine this might be very good for the gifted kid, uh, because it doesn't lead to some sort of superiority or inferiority complex, uh, or I think you use the term imposter syndrome, which, which is something that can crop up later in life. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so imposter syndrome is something that um, we actually spent quite a bit of time studying um, during my time in college in child learning and development. Um, imposter syndrome occurs when um, a kid has gone through life just breezing by, um, so especially someone who's highly academically gifted, identified early on, nothing in school is a challenge, nothing in life is a challenge, there's a lot of roadblocks um, removed just because of this one aspect of your personality. And then you study and you study and academics are what you're good at. So you go to college, you get your bachelor's, you go get your master's, maybe even your doctorate. And suddenly you're like, everybody here in this room is smarter than me. I, I, I will never be able to get to the level that everybody else around me is at. I'm an imposter. I, I'm not actually very smart. I, I, I just get through life without being challenged. And I'm not a hard worker. Um, I don't know as much as these other people do. I'm never going to be able to make these accomplishments. I'm not going to be able to get my research published. Um, it's just this sort of um, spiraling that can happen um, when you dive into academics, in, especially in the college years this is studied. This makes me think of Carol Dweck's theory of mindset and her advice to praise effort instead of ability, essentially, instead of saying, oh, you're so smart, you're so intelligent saying, wow, you worked really hard or you tried really hard on that test or on this project. Um, is there an overlap there for you? Definitely, definitely. I would say Carol Dweck's theory of mindset um, applies to making the choice um, for self-directed education uh, it, rather than public education. Um, but it is especially pertinent for gifted kids because giftedness in the sense that I'm talking about um, is tied to academics and academics are tied to rewards and punishments. Um, and especially the reward of accomplishing something or doing well at something rather than trying hard or spending time working on your skills. Um, and so, yes, I, I would definitely say that imposter syndrome is directly tied to that theory of mindset. All right. One more question for you, Kristen, as the co-founder, of a Liberated Learner Center now. I'm sure you've been talking more with parents. And what kind of advice do you give to parents who have 
kids who have been identified as academically gifted. And these parents are worrying that if um, their kids are not put into a so-called academically enriching environment, that they are kind of wasting their potential. Um, what would you say to this kind of parent um, if they're considering sending their kid to a center like yours? Yeah, I actually um, feel like I should have been asked this question by now, um, but I haven't. Um, I think the parents that I've encountered know that their kid seeks seeks out their own enrichment and stimulation. Um, but if I were asked that question by a parent, um, I would point to maybe studies that show um, that gifted kids actually do best with independence, um, and they get turned off very easily to academics um, in environments that don't really allow them to creatively problem solve or are structured in a way that doesn't match their motivations for learning, um, which I'm sure you you hear that this sounds like public school, <laughs> whereas self-directed learners, learning centers offer a lot of independence um, and choice and one-on-one -on -one mentoring mm -hmm. for their gifted learner. Sounds like you're saying that academic enrichment activities don't mean much if there's not autonomy, real autonomy, and, and also adults that are providing support for that autonomy along the way. If it's still just a very limited number of tracks in a highly controlled environment, then the, the gifted kid is always going to feel like they're not able to move as fast as they want or explore the specific interests that they want or, or switch between interests and explore uh, new ideas as quickly as they want. Exactly, exactly. And I would tell the parent, too, to ask their kid if they feel um, enriched by their challenging classes right now because they probably are bored like I was. <laughs> All right. Uh, wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show, Kristen. Thanks, Blake.